find uh, Ruth chapter 3. If you're new with us tonight, we've been doing a series on the book of Ruth. We're up to chapter 3. We're going to be looking tonight at the subject matter, a home in the making. A home in the making. And of course, we, I entitled the overall series, God's Provision in the Darkest Moments of Our Lives. Looking tonight at a home in the making. Let's read all of chapter 3. It says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies." Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you've not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it out and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Recently, I read an ad about matchmaking, and I quote the ad, an exact quote. Single blonde female seeks male companionship. 
ethnicity, unimportant. I'm a very good-looking girl who loves to play. I love long walks in the woods, riding in your pickup truck, hunting, camping, and fishing trips, cozy winter nights lying by the fire. Candlelight dinner will have me eating out of your hand. Rub me the right way and watch me respond. I'll be at the front door when you get home from work wearing only what nature gave me. Kiss me and I'm yours. Call area code 404-875-6420 and ask for Daisy. Over 15,000 men responded to that ad. (laughs) When they called, they found themselves talking to the Atlanta Humane Society about an eight-week-old blonde Labrador retriever. (laughs) Well, tonight we see a story about matchmaking. Uh, It's a story about God meeting our needs and God providing a home for us. Now, folks, I want you to remember what we've said about this book. Ruth is a picture of us. She's a picture of our desperate need in, in our lives. And Boaz is a picture of the Lord Jesus, our kinsman redeemer. I love the analogy that Dr. Adrian Rogers gives or gave of this book. He, of course, has passed away now, but he gave a wonderful analogy. He said, you may have seen one of those pictures before where you look at the picture behind the picture. It's one of those 3D images on the wall, and it just looks like a bunch of psychedelic dots, and yet you stare at it, and you stare at it, and you stare at it, and if you look long enough, it's not long before you see an image coming out of the image. You know what I'm talking about, right? Some, people have, some people's eyes are not able to see those, but most people can, of course. Well, the book of Ruth is like that. There is a story that grows out of the story. There is Ruth and Boaz, and there is us and Jesus. As Boaz was Ruth's kinsman redeemer, the Lord Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. Now last week, as we got into Ruth chapter 2, we saw how chapter 1 had ended. It was the beginning of the barley harvest. In Ruth 2, we saw Ruth gleaning. How the gleaners, how the poor would go along behind the harvesters. And, and the harvesters were told in the Old Testament that they, they were to leave some of the crop. They weren't to get everything. They were to leave a little bit in the fields and at the corner of the fields so that the poor could walk around behind them and gather up the leftovers and they would have something to take care of themselves. So Ruth is among the poor gleaners. And we saw Boaz's response to her. He was full of grace. He didn't rebuke her for being there. He welcomed her. He heard about her noble character and how she wanted to be counted among God's people. She was a woman of character. Character matters. 
Folks, we need to remember that today. Character matters. We don't always see a lot of it in the world today, but mark it down. It matters. Now, Boaz doesn't want Ruth gleaning anywhere else. He's kind to her. He makes provision for her. He does not treat her as a foreigner. He doesn't treat her as an outcast. Others may have done that knowing that she was from Moab and not Israel, but not Boaz. He's very, he's very kind to her. And he's noticed what kind of woman she is, what kind of daughter-in-law that she has been to, to Naomi. And a lot of people have grown very fond of Ruth. Well, now it's the end of the harvest as chapter 2 closes. We get into the beginning of chapter 3, and I want you to see, first of all, with me tonight, a loving concern. A loving concern. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Naomi is not so much concerned about herself, she's concerned about Ruth. Because here's a young woman, a young widow, and she's been a good daughter-in-law. Evidently, Naomi's up in years a little bit. What's going to happen to Ruth if Naomi dies? And so she's concerned about Ruth. Now, during the harvest days, Boaz saw that both Naomi and Ruth both had all that they needed as, again, he allowed Ruth to, to glean. And then he would even give her an additional portion to take back. But now the harvest is over. Naomi is showing concern for a permanent solution. You know, it was good during the harvest because she was able to glean and, and get what she needed to bring home to Naomi, and they had everything they needed. But what's going to happen to them now that the barley harvest is over? And so in verse 1, we see a very loving concern on the part of Naomi. She wants to find a more permanent solution for Ruth. In verse 1, Naomi does what most parents of that time and culture did. They would seek out a spouse for their children. Matchmaking. A lot of times parents, still today in a lot of uh, Eastern cultures, and a lot of uh, Middle Eastern cultures, what do they do? They make arrangements when the children are very young. What's surprising about that, folks, in those countries, those marriages last. Last better than ours do in, in America. That's what a lot of parents around the world did back then. They continue to do today. I'm reminded of Abraham. Abraham's up in years, and he's concerned about finding a wife for his son Isaac. And, and he makes his servant go back to Abraham's people and find a wife there for Isaac. He's concerned about a mate for his son. Same type of loving concern we see here. She reminds Ruth of Boaz's close relationship to them. He's close kin. Now, folks, there's two things here that would have been in the back of Naomi's mind. The first thing is leveret, leveret marriage. Leveret marriage. That was prescribed in the book of Deuteronomy. 
Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 25 verses 5 to 10. It says, When brothers live together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the deceased shall not be married outside the family to a strange man. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her to himself as wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And it shall be that the firstborn whom she bears shall assume the name of his dead brother that his name may not be blotted out from Israel. But if the man does not desire to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate to the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to establish a name for his brother in Israel. He's not willing to perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of his city shall summon him and speak to him. And if he persists and says, I do not desire to take her, then his brother's wife shall come to him in the sight of the elders and pull his sandal off his foot and spit in his face, and she shall declare. Declare, thus it is done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. And in Israel his name shall be called the house of him whose sandal is removed. Leveret marriage. A brother or close kin was to marry his brother's widow. Then the second thing that Naomi would have had in mind was the concept of the goel, G-O-E-L as we would spell it in English. The kinsman redeemer. According to Leviticus 25, verses 25 to 28, a goel could be involved in the redemption of property. And then in Leviticus 25, 47 to 55, he could be involved in the redemption of a person. And then according to Numbers 35, verses 16 to 21, and then again verse 31, he could be involved in the redemption of blood. So the Goel, the kinsman redeemer, no doubt Naomi had those two things in mind. The Goel, the kinsman redeemer, and the leveret marriage. She needed to find somebody of her deceased husband, Elimelech. She needed to find somebody, a close kinfolk in his family, to marry Ruth to raise up children for Naomi's son that had died. Now, why would Naomi have known all this? Because she knew the Word of God. She knew the Word of God. The Word of God had prescribed for widows to be looked after this way and cared for this way. And because Naomi knew the Word of God, she knew that there was some man out there who needed to provide this way for Ruth. The benefit of knowing God's Word. You know, a lot of people want to know the will of God. Number one question pastors are asked. Pastor, can you help me understand the will of God for my life? Had a meeting with somebody today. 56-year-old gentleman concerned about that. The will of God for the rest of his life. Folks, if we know the word of God and the principles set down for us in the word of God, 
we're going to know 95% of the will of God, right? Now, is the will of God going to tell you something like, should I go to this doctor or this doctor for this procedure? Is the Word of God going to tell you something like that? Of course not. But is the Word of God going to tell you what you need to know pertaining to salvation and sanctification? Yes, it is. And it's going to establish principles for you to help guide you in those gray areas. The importance of knowing the will of God. Problem is, a lot of people today get in a crisis they're at a fork in the road in their life, and, and, and they don't know the Word of God. They've not spent time studying the Word of God. All of a sudden, they're in a crisis, and it's not like they're going to study Genesis to Revelation tonight. But because they've not studied the Word of God, they're already at a disadvantage. They don't know God's Word. Naomi knows God's Word. And so, out of concern for Ruth to find a husband... Naomi knows that Boaz will be at the threshing floor that night. Now, it was customary for a threshing floor to be elevated a little bit. It'd be a large round circle, sometimes outlined with rocks for the border. And they would have oxen treading out the grain. The grain and the husk would be separated. They would take their winnowing forks and they would, they would toss the stalks of grain up in the air and the chaff would blow away in, in the wind and the heavier grain would fall back down. And they'd keep doing this and keep doing this, winnowing out the grain, uh, separating the grain from the chaff and the stalks. And they would do this until they were left again with, with the grain. Oftentimes, families and relatives would gather at the threshing floor, and, and it was a time of great celebration. What were they celebrating? That God had given them a harvest. God had provided. I remember a couple of years ago when, uh, when y'all gave us a trip to Israel. One of the things we visited in Bethlehem was a threshing floor. Is anybody in here ever been to one of those a threshing floor no one thing I remember uh is is large large circular area probably not not quite as big as the whole footprint of this bottom floor not not quite that large but it was a large large area nonetheless and off to the side there were a couple of houses and there's like rock borders and little rock wall that a bunch of us sat on while the tour guide taught about the threshing floor. And I remember this Arab family coming out of this little two-story house and uh, little Arab kids, and they were carrying their little teapots and their cups, little cups, and they and their parents came over, and they were quite insistent on serving us all some hot tea. Eastern cultures, Middle Eastern cultures, are very hospitable. That's very important to them. And those were the cutest little kids, weren't they? Cutest little kids. And they were going around and, and they had a bunch of cups. And, and they were serving the whole group. There were 98 of us in the group. And they were serving all of us the tea 
that they had fixed. We didn't give them anything. They weren't expecting it. You'd say, well, sure, they're expecting tips and all. No, they weren't. They were just being hospitable and serving us. But it was neat to see that threshing floor. Well, they would thresh up into the night, and then they would eat, and they would celebrate, and they would fall asleep there on the threshing floor. The men would lay down. They would point their heads. They'd put the pile of grain in the middle, point their heads that way, and their feet out towards the edges. And the men would all sleep around there, protecting the grain so that thieves wouldn't come in the night and steal it. So again, Naomi knows that Boaz is going to be, they've gathered in the grain, it's the end of the harvest, it's time to uh, have it there at the threshing floor and get it ready. So that, she's sending Ruth down there. I want you to see secondly a purposeful plan, verses 2 to 5, a purposeful plan. Naomi has a plan in mind. Let's bring it down into modern times a little bit. November of 1937, Sadie Hawkins first appeared in Al Cap's comic strip, Little Abner. Remember that? Sadie was so ugly that her father, the powerful mayor of Dogpatch, USA, was afraid he'd never marry her off. So in desperation, he decreed a Sadie Hawkins day and all the unmarried men in Dogpatch had to line up and they got a 10-second head start before Sadie and the other unmarried women began running after them. The man each woman caught would end up in front of Mary and Sam for a shotgun wedding. Now apparently, Sadie was as quick as she was ugly. And so she called herself a man. The ladies of Dogpatch liked it so much that it became an annual affair cherished by women and dreaded by bachelors. (laughs) Sadie Hawkins. In high school, we had the Sadie Hawkins dance where the women invited the men. Y'all, everybody shaking your head, you had that too. Well, what we have here, I guess, is sort of an ancient Sadie Hawkins event. But remember, Ruth, unlike Sadie Hawkins, Ruth apparently is quite attractive. She's caught Boaz's eye. Look at verse 3. Look at what Naomi is telling Ruth to do. Look at what she says here in verse 3. Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak, that is your best dress, and and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. Boaz has seen Ruth looking her worst. He's seen her every day in her work clothes, working the fields. She perhaps even was still wearing uh, some clothing that indicated that she was in mourning, mourning her husband who died. Boaz would have been seeing her that way every day. Naomi is wanting her daughter-in-law to change out of her work clothes or her mourning clothes, indicating that she was in mourning and start advertising herself a little bit. As one writer says, as a free agent now. All of it done in good taste. Naomi is saying, Ruth, it's time for you to fix up, get a bath. 
Anoint yourself, put on some of that midnight in Moab perfume that you have. Put on your real pretty dress, look real sharp. It's time for Boaz to see a different you. Boaz has already noticed Ruth's character. Everybody else has too. Because Boaz comments about how everybody's noticed how kind she has been to her mother-in-law. And ladies, that's what matters most, isn't it? What's 1 Peter chapter 3 say to ladies? Peter says, let not your adornment be merely external, the braiding of the hair, wearing gold jewelry, putting on dresses... But let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. The character of a woman. But ladies, there's nothing wrong with looking pretty too, right? (laughs) Amen. Men appreciate that. Naomi wants... Ruth to really catch Boaz's eye. What's she doing? She's playing matchmaker. Say what? (laughs) You know, I remember high school. uh, Connie's going to kill me. (laughs) My sister playing matchmaker. Our youth group every year. Now, now, folks, this, this is probably not the thing for a youth group to do. But every year in Charlotte on Moorhead Street, downtown Charlotte, there was an old, dilapidated, run-down, two-story mansion, an old, old house, big house, probably 100, 150 years old. And you know what they would do with that house every year, don't you? Haunted house. Like I say, not the best thing for a youth group to do, but our youth group loaded up in our cars and we went to the haunted house. And I mean, it was a popular thing in Charlotte. The line would, I mean, it'd be stretched going way down Moorhead, down the sidewalk. It's pretty good weight to get in there. And I noticed in the line, uh, my sister told me, Connie likes you. Really? Yeah, she does. I'm telling you. So I, so I noticed, I noticed in the line, I'd stand here and I'd be talking to some and who'd be there? Connie would. I'd come move over here, say, hmm, I'm going to try a little experiment. I'd talk to this group of, that's kind of like a politician in a line. Guess who would be there? Connie would. Move over here. Connie would be there. I thought, hmm, I guess my sister's right. So I asked her out. She was playing the matchmaker, and it worked. Well, Naomi's the matchmaker. She's got it all figured out. She tells Ruth to wash. Folks, think about this a moment. While Ruth was to literally wash herself and anoint herself and put on clean clothes, I don't know if you realize this or not, but those very same words are oftentimes used in the Bible to refer to what? Repentance. Those words are oftentimes used in a spiritual sense. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, anoint yourselves. 
for it is time to seek the Lord. You know, we certainly don't save ourselves. Salvation is of the Lord. I'm not sure theologically the hymn that we sang at the beginning of tonight is the best hymn theologically. I have decided to follow Jesus. How does that jive with John 1.12? What's John 1.12 say? Salvation is not a matter of human will. It's not a matter of the flesh. But it's of God. It's more than just me deciding or you deciding. It's of God. God initiates. But does that mean that I don't have a role to play or you don't have a role to play? No. That doesn't mean that at all. We have to repent and believe, don't we? We've got to repent and believe. Ruth needed to take this action because she was about to go out and meet the man who would end up as her bridegroom. Who are we? We're the bride of Christ. And so we've got to wash ourselves and anoint ourselves and put on new clothes. In other words, we've got to change. We've got to repent. That's the problem today. Too many people want the Lord and their sins too. They want God's blessings, but they don't want to turn from their sin. And it's why some people don't sense their prayers being answered. In Isaiah 1, God says, So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my sins from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. James in the New Testament says the same thing. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Maybe I'm speaking to somebody tonight that that's what you need to do. You need to turn away from self, turn away from sin, turn away from the way you've been living, and you need to turn to Christ in repentance and faith. You need to wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. As the narrative of the book of Ruth continues, you'll notice that Naomi tells Ruth to stand at a distance. Let the the men finish their work, let them retire for the evening, That's the significance of noticing the place where he lies down. She doesn't want Ruth going and laying at the feet of the wrong man. And she tells Ruth what to do next. Uncover his feet. Now that sounds like a strange custom to us. But it was a nonverbal way back then of saying, Put your covering not only over you but over me as well. In other words, Ruth is letting him know in unmistakable language, I want to be your wife, let your covering of provision and protection be placed over me. Now folks, there is absolutely no hint of immorality going on in this text. Do y'all remember the Sunday school lessons some of you had a couple of years ago in the book of Ruth? Made a lot of folks in the church mad. And I understand why. 
And I heard about it. I called Lifeway. Do, do y'all remember that? There's a pastor who wrote the lessons on Ruth. They got him to write the lessons on this. And man, he turned this scene right here into an X, literally an X-rated thing. They uncovered one another and boy, it was, it was a night of, it was a night of passion. Raw passion. Immorality. It was in your Sunday school lesson. And I called Lifeway, and I'm like, how in the world? Because I read the technical commentaries on it. And I said, you know what? You read the book of Ruth, too. Because the editor was trying to say, well, pastor, if you've read the technical commentaries, you know the Hebrew words, how some of them can be translated, how it can lead. And I said, yeah. But the overall context of the book, over and over and over again, it is stressed how both... Uh, Boaz and Ruth are people of such high, noble character. Turned out, they, they heard from a lot of people on, on that series of lessons. People weren't happy. Because again, this scene in your Sunday school lesson was an X-rated night on the threshing floor in Bethlehem. And folks, that is not what's going on here. It's not. She says, I'm your maidservant. Take me under your wing. She's putting herself at the feet of Boaz, a, a demonstration of humility. She's saying, spread your cover over me. You're my kinsman redeemer. It's a picture of us humbly putting ourselves at the feet of Jesus and saying, Lord, cover me and be my redeemer. Turning to the Lord. You know what, folks? The Bible is crystal clear. We don't come into this world prepared for heaven, do we? We're dead in trespasses and sins. We're not equipped for heaven the way we are. The Lord's got to do that work in our lives, and we turn to Him and say, Lord, my trust is in you. I need you to cover my sins. Verse 8 tells us that at midnight, Boaz awakened. Something startled him, and there he saw a woman at his feet. <laughs> now, it's not the first time something like this has happened. God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he woke up. And there was Eve. God had taken a rib and fashioned the woman. Kind of like the little boy came in from playing hard one day and his sides were hurt and he was crying. And his mom said, why are you crying? He said, I think I'm fixing to have a wife. <laughs> Jacob went to sleep. What happened with Jacob? Woke up with the wrong woman. Whoops, Leah. It's not Rachel, it's Leah. Folks, it was, to use David Fink's expression, it was, it was darker than a sack of black cats. <laughs> and he said, verse 16 here, that doesn't come out in most translations. Actually, if you're reading from the King James, they, they nail it, the Hebrew. Uh, 
Well, wait a minute. Verse 16 later. I'll get to that when I talk about Naomi. Let me come, come back to that a minute. But, but he says, who are you? And Ruth answered, there, there's no mistake what she's asking for. Folks, it was not uncouth for a woman to seek out a kinsman redeemer. In fact, it was expected that she would do so. Now, thirdly, I want you to see a gracious gentleman, beginning there in verse 7. Boaz says, blessed are you. She's shown great love and devotion for Naomi, and now she's showing it to him. He's evidently a good bit older than her, and he recognizes that she could have gone after the younger men in town, but the way she's conducted herself has won everybody over. She may have been a foreign woman, but she has shown herself to be a virtuous woman. It's no accident that several times in the text, the words used of both Ruth and Boaz, the same Hebrew word that is used in Proverbs 31 that talks about the virtuous woman, the excellent woman of great worth. Same Hebrew words used here. Again, it shows you that we're dealing with people here of of high character. It's not a Hollywood trashy story. It's a love story as only God can tell it. Boaz lets her know he'll do everything for her that he can, but there's a fly in the ointment. And what's the fly in the ointment? There's somebody closer. And Boaz is a noble man. He wants to do the right thing. You know, I'd love to be your kinsman redeemer, but wait, the right thing is the closest kin. There's somebody closer than me. And so if this other man will be your kinsman redeemer, then well and good. And I'll let you go. But if not, then I'll marry you. You know, I can only imagine that was a hard thing to do because I think from day one, Boaz has noticed Ruth grown quite fond of her. But first and foremost in Boaz's mind was doing what the Lord would have him to do. Folks, that's a lesson for us too, isn't it? We may want something really badly, but is it, is it the right thing? God may have another plan for you, Ruth. It may not be me. Maybe this other guy. And so we've got to put things into God's hands, trusting that he's going to work it all out according to his will. Yes, yes, absolutely. Verse 14, neither of them want to give the appearance of evil. They cared about one another's reputations. Boy, that's something we don't see today either, do we? Caring about somebody's reputation. They cared about one, another, they cared about one another's honor. Again, as a sign of good faith and to show his intentions before she leaves, he measures out a huge quantity of grain for Ruth to carry back to share with Naomi. Now, ephah, the word ephah has been inserted into the text by translators. It's not in the Hebrew text. If you have a Bible where it's in italics, it's showing that it's simply the best guess of the translators. But six ephahs would have been 200 pounds. 
an unlikely amount for a woman to carry. It's believed it, it, the, word, the Hebrew word was six seahs, which is still a large amount, 60 to 80 pounds. He places this amount of grain on Ruth, and she carries it back. And then in verse 16, uh, Naomi, the ESV, uh, says, How'd you fare, my daughter? But if you're reading from the King James, what's it say? Who art thou? And that's literally what the Hebrew says. Didn't Naomi not know Ruth? Was she all of a sudden having a case of amnesia? Who are you? No. What's she asking? Is it Ruth? Or are you Mrs. Boaz? That's what she's asking. Ruth tells her everything. And she says, you just be still and wait and be patient because the man will not rest until he settles the matter today. A home in the making. I want to give you several lessons. Lesson number one, we've seen that the story of Ruth with the theme of the kinsman redeemer is a picture of the gospel. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. We were foreigners like Ruth. She was a despised Moabite, a Gentile. We're Gentiles. And yet God included Ruth in his plan. What's Paul say in Ephesians chapter 2? He says, beginning there in verse 11, Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus... You who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Folks, if it were not for the grace of God in providing us with the kinsman redeemer, we would be without hope. God's grace is wide enough to include me and you, Gentiles. A second lesson shows that we need ultimate security. Ultimate security. Again, during the barley harvest, they had security, but it was just temporary during the harvest. Ruth needed more. Ruth needed a permanent home. Naomi recognizes that. She recognizes what a lot of people today don't. For a lot of people today, if life is good right now in the moment... They never think about the larger issues of life. How about my life right now? Is my life good right now? And if my life's good right now, so many people are not thinking about the future. Remember what Jesus said about that? What is it going to profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his very own soul? Folks, you and I have got to, we've got to look past the end of our nose and we've got to look into eternity. 
We don't need provision just right now in this life. Let's say you live to be 100 years old in light of eternity. That's just a drop in the bucket. You and I need provision. And that's what we have. We have a permanent, God's permanent solution in Jesus Christ. Jesus in John 14 said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. We need a permanent solution. We don't need just band-aids. And God's solutions are permanent. Amen? The last lesson is we've got to trust that the Lord will do all that he says he will do. Naomi tells Ruth to just rest and wait, sit tight, saying Boaz will not rest until he has finished this matter. That very morning we see Boaz setting about to secure Ruth's redemption. And he didn't stop until the matter was settled. All through the Gospels, Jesus did not rest until he did what he had come to do. In Luke 9, from that point on in Luke's Gospel... Luke shows Jesus steadfastly setting his face to go to Jerusalem, despite the fact that he knew what was going to happen when he got there. But he would not rest until he had secured our redemption to the point that from the cross he finally said what? It is finished. The Lord will do what he says he will do. Now, again, Ruth's part, wash, make yourselves clean. Maybe you need to do that tonight. Isaiah says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Implication You may not always find him. Is he stirring your heart right now here tonight? Has he been convicting you of your sin? Folks, that's the work of the Holy Spirit, drawing you to faith in Christ. If you don't have a relationship with the Lord, that's what he does. He he draws you to Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He draws you to Christ. You need to repent and place your faith in him. Wonderful, wonderful gospel story tucked away in the Old Testament. We'll try to finish the story next week.